service. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Badlands listeners, are you here? Are you with me? Are you too tired to go to bed? Too riled up to stay home? I know I am. This is another podcast that comes after the podcast. Welcome to Badlands, the rap party. Welcome to the Badlands bonus episode, another thing we like to call the rap party. Just like that other show, this is a show that comes after the show, a voyage from one episode of Badlands to the other, the back lot breakdown of sorts. On this episode, we are talking about Mel Gibson and the Hungerford Massacre, Tom Hardy's Capone, movies you love with soundtracks you hate. Can those two things exist? So just like that other show, we are digging into your movie-focused voicemails, texts, DMs, and more. Badlands listeners, let's get into it. Greetings, brothers and sisters, and welcome to the rap party. Let's dive right in to Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson, the explosive action star, plunged straight into Mad Max's wasteland and straight into insanity. Mel Gibson was molded by a violent childhood and had an early taste for alcohol. His reputation as a thrill-hungry lunatic extended from movie sets to the director's chair. He's unflinchingly recreated scenes of bone-crushing torture and human sacrifice. He's the legendary guy who flies off the handle at a moment's notice, made him Hollywood's most in-demand actor for playing wild cards, anti-heroes, lunatics, and that is until life imitated art. And Mel was caught playing the supervillain in real life. All right. Uh, is it Mel Gibson's best movie? His most iconic? Is it my favorite? Your favorite? Maybe the answer is yes to all these questions when considering Lethal Weapon. I don't know. Here's what I do know. Mel Gibson's Lethal Weapon was directed by Richard Donner and written by Shane Black. It was released in March 1987. It was the number one movie in America for three straight weeks, grossed over $120 million worldwide on a budget of only $15 million. Quick math means profit of 105 mil. It's a lot of money. Uh, Mel plays Martin Riggs, former Special Forces soldier, recently widowed, suicidal, uh, and totally erratic detective. His partner is Roger Murtaugh, played by I'm Too Old for This Shit, Danny Glover. Lethal Weapon, huge blockbuster, started a massive franchise, and it cemented Mel Gibson as the breakout action star of the 1980s. But 
International markets. Now, I don't know much about this. I'm not going to pretend I do. I uh, just, you know, some research here, a little bit of research. Intermar international markets, this is a fact, are a big part of a film's commercial success. And Lethal Weapon probably would have made even more money in if in the UK, this violent tragedy hadn't taken place in the same month that Lethal Weapon was released there. On August 19th, 1987, the Hungerford Massacre, and apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, took place in Hungerford, a small market town in Berkshire, England. 27-year-old Michael Ryan went on a killing spree with a semi-automatic rifle in one hand and a Beretta 9mm in the other. This is gross. It's horrific. It's fucking video game shit. It's ultra-violence, okay? And I'm going to tell you what happened here. And if you're put off by this sort of thing, this is the trigger warning, okay? Uh, here we go. Michael Ryan, he separated a mother from her children. He walked her into the forest, and he shot her 13 times. He went to a gas station. He tried to shoot the cashier, but the gun jammed. He left. The cashier dialed 999. That's uh, the English version of 911. Uh, Ryan went home, and he shot the two family dogs. He set his house on fire. The fire burned down not only his house— but three other properties nearby. He shot two neighbors, wounded two others, walked to the town's common, shot and killed a 51-year-old man walking with his family. By this time, the cops had responded. Ryan shot one of them in the chest. The cop was driving his patrol car at the time, and they crashed into a telephone pole. Uh, while the cop was trying to radio in an active shooter report, Ryan approached the car and he killed him. He then shot at more people, including an ambulance, the heartless fuck. He killed an elderly man tending his garden. He shot at more people driving cars. Some he wounded and others he killed. He shot a grandfather through the eye as he was ushering his grandkids to safety. Ryan even killed his own mother, shot her four times. Times, including two shots at point-blank range. At the end of this senseless killing spree, he went inside one of his former schools and he ended his own life with a gunshot to the temple. He killed 17 people in total, including himself, and wounded another 15. Uh, and a motive for, those, for these killings has never been established. Lethal Weapon opened the same month as these killings took place in England almost six months after it opened in the United States. But due to the Hungerford Massacre, as it was known to be called, audiences, they weren't really, you know, understandably, they weren't really in the mood for a violent action movie with a psychotic Martin Riggs or nearly psychotic Martin Riggs shoving a pistol in his mouth and going all googly-eyed. Four of England's five regional networks pulled ads for Lethal Weapon on opening weekend and another theater withdrew the film entirely. Now, Lethal Weapon did not flop. It was a huge hit. Uh, despite the the scheduling conflict in, in England and whatever that did to the, the bottom line for the studio. Who cares, right? But it did get me thinking. Uh, what are some other movies that were impacted either commercially or critically by events that happened around the time of their release by social events? Uh, I'm thinking about a specific movie uh, called Capone starring Tom Hardy as a notorious Chicago gangster, Al Capone, was released in May of 2020, right in the thick of the COVID-19 pandemic, when theaters worldwide were shut down, when the world was shut down. Uh, Capone's budget was $20 million for this film, $20 million to make this movie. 
and it it was slated for you know remember this is like the height of the pandemic lockdown this is hollywood doesn't really know what to do at this point we're sort of in this weird situation now where some movies are released only theatrically they're released theatrically and then they quickly go to streaming or they're released theatrically and on streaming or just on it's all over the freaking map it's all being calibrated by the studios to make as much money as possible um and it's all post covid but during covid this movie comes out Okay, it's one of the first big budget movies to come out during the height of the pandemic. 20 million bucks they spent making this movie. It makes $858,000. Now, who knows if it's made more since then, if that number is accurate, but that's the measuring stick that's that I could find online. 20 million to make it and it made 158 grand. Whew. Okay? Uh a flop, all right? A total flop. Now, I know a lot of people who are movie fans. I know a lot of people who are gangster movie fans. I don't know one of them who likes this movie. I like this movie, though. I like this movie a lot. I've seen it a couple times. Now, I like shit that a lot of people don't like. I get that. That's me. I'm not afraid to say it. I like what I like. Whatever. It's an opinion, man. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, but I, I've had this ongoing argument with my friend Jackson about this movie. Who He's got great taste in films. Uh, we have similar tastes. I think he has great taste, but he fucking hates it. I love it. Uh, my friend Cam also hates it. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know anyone who likes this movie. I just hip Zeth to it. He's going to watch it. Um, if he tells me he hates it, then I'll really know that I'm, I'm in the minority because he and I have very aligned taste. Um, but like I said, I liked the movie and I can't tell if it just has so much stink on it because it flopped so tremendously. So did the movie come, the movie comes out, no one goes to see it at all. It completely flops. The critics are like, this sucks. And it is a weird movie. It's a heady movie. It's, uh, it's not your typical gangster movie by any measure. Right. So it's got that going against it as well. Um, but just, there's a, there's a sort of like failure momentum that happens. You know, you get, you get a bad box office, you get a couple bad reviews, you get bad word of mouth, and it just compounds and snowballs and snowballs and snowballs. And sooner or later, it's there's just a gut reaction to to the brand, to the Capone movie brand that is just like, fuck that movie. Even people saw it, they're biased when they go into it. I don't know. I'm rambling. Point is, it came out, they spent 20 million on it, COVID was going on, they only made 800 grand. People hate that fucking movie, okay? Similarly, sort of, in 2012, at a midnight screening of The Dark Knight Rises on opening night, a lone gunman opened fire in a theater in Colorado, killing 12 people and injuring 70 people. This resulted in the studio and Warner Brothers canceling premieres for this film in Japan and Mexico and Paris. Several TV networks in the States stopped running ads for Dark Knight Rises. The trailer for the movie Gangster Squad, which was uh, very intentionally planned to run before The Dark Knight Rises, was pulled because it had a scene involving a shooting inside of a movie theater. All right. Uh, you know, Dark Knight Rises did not suffer from this. It did well. Capone did suffer. Different circumstance entirely. But still, social circumstances, negative social circumstances that affected these movies. Uh, 
just got me thinking, What? where else has, has this happened? What other social film flops of the past century are there? And how do we as a culture choose to interact with film in moments of national crisis? All right, The Lion King, that movie came out two days before O.J. Simpson took America for a ride in his white Bronco, and that movie seemed to do just fine, better than fine, actually. Zoolander was released two weeks after the 9-11 attacks, and Ben Stiller had any and all footage of the World Trade Center of the towers that were in Zoolander because it takes place in Manhattan, among other places. He had uh, any images of the, of, the, of the World Trade Center taken out of the movie digitally before it was eventually released. Now, it's since been released elsewhere and time has gone by and the original print is, uh, or the original cut of the movie with the Trade Center is, you can find that easily. But take my word for it, uh, Zoolander, they, you know, they took the footage of the, I'm sorry, they took the, the Trade Center towers out um, in response to 9-11, and that movie did fine, all right? But I want to know, how does crisis affect the way you watch movies? I looked up the movies that I couldn't really find the week of November 22nd, 1963, which was a Friday. I didn't realize the day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Um, I couldn't find, I couldn't pinpoint the movies that were released that week, but of the movies that were released around that date, I've never heard of any of them. None, nothing. Um, I'm not going to read them to you because you you haven't heard of them either, unless you're a cinephile. So I'm just curious. I I don't have any direct answers here, or expect any, I should say. Um, You know, it's different in every case. Shots of the Trade Center in a comedy two weeks after the buildings are destroyed and thousands die is understandably a bum out. While Tom Hardy's Capone getting savaged by critics, perhaps biased by disastrous and unavoidable box office carnage, that's another thing entirely. 617-906-6638, voicemail or text if you've got any thoughts on this. Or if you happen to be the one guy or gal in America besides me who loved Capone and wants to talk about how awesome it was, hit me up. Uh, 617-906-6638, voicemail or text. I'll be back after this. All right, the Music Connection section of the Rap Party brings us straight here into the C-Block. We cannot talk about the soundtrack and score to Lethal Weapon, which was a collaboration between Eric Clapton and saxophonist David Sanborn and composer Michael Kamen. Uh, We can't talk about this movie (laughs) without talking about Clapton, uh, his playing in particular in this film. I guess it's meant to mirror the, the wild mood swings of Mel Gibson's Martin Riggs character. I guess uh, it's one way of defining what's happening with the score and the soundtrack. Uh, this is one of those things uh, that I love. That I love, but I totally get why people hate it. Yeah, do you guys have that? I'm sure you do. You know, you know what I'm talking about. It's it's not a guilty pleasure either or a cheap thrill. The score to Lethal Weapon. It's a real serious thing. I mean, it's Eric Clapton for Pete's sake. It's uh, you know, but it's jarringly cheesy. <laughs> Yet I love it. I'm guessing because I grew up with this movie as a, as a kid. 617-906-6638. Movies you love with awful scores and or soundtracks and why. Mark Knopfler's The Princess Bride score. Is it really good? Do you really love it? You love Mark Knopfler. I get that. I do too. You love The Princess Bride. I do as well. But do you love the score objectively? Do you love the score to this movie? Let me know. Robbie Robertson's score for The Irishman. You love the band. You love Scorsese. You might even love the the solo Robbie Robertson, divorce rock stuff. 
hey, so do I. But do you love the score or does it crawl under your skin and scratch a part of your brain that doesn't need scratching? I love this score. I love the score to The Irishman. I do. I think. 617-906-6638. Movies you love with scores and soundtracks you hate. Send me a text. Leave me a voicemail. Just like Nick from the 317 on our question of awesome baseball movies. Hey, Jake. This is Nick from the 317. I just listened to the uh, the after party on Badlands. And for baseball movies, you mentioned it briefly, but the Richard Linklater film Everybody wants some about the college baseball team. It's pretty, pretty spectacular. Um, as you mentioned, Glenn Powell's in it. Um, it also has a, uh, Wyatt Russell who's fantastic in it and, uh, just very different from your, uh, the formulaic baseball films we often see. And in terms of summer movies, uh, I would say my top three are Call Me By Your Name, which, uh, has, of course, Timothy Chalamet and Subject of Badlands episode, Army Hammer, is in it as well. Pre-controversy, um, just a fantastic film, just very much feels like being stuck in an endless summer. Um, beyond that, The Florida Project, the Sean Baker film that came out a few years back, stars Willem Dafoe, um, who he actually got an Academy Award nomination for the role. Um, he, uh, he runs a motel, but the story focuses on the little kid living in this budget motel and it's in Florida, but it's, 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 they're very poor and it's close to Disney world. So there's that dichotomy. That's pretty interesting. And, uh, there's a, a fantastic final scene in that film. They shot on an iPhone that just really sticks with you. And then finally, I think the greatest summer film of all time is American graffiti by George Lucas. Um, you got, you know, that's star studded. You got Richard Dreyfuss, um, Ron Howard, of course, and Kenzie Phillips is in it. We got a young Harrison Ford, and the soundtrack is phenomenal. It ends on kind of a bummer. I, I love those films that kind of end uh, and kind of leave you thinking. So that's it. Thanks for the good show, man. Yes, thank you, Nick. Everybody wants some. That's the name. That's that's the name of the movie I was trying to think of in the last rap party. Thank you. Um, I have not seen this movie. I've wanted to, but, you know, I can never think of the name. And, uh, you know too lazy sometimes to just uh, go to the old Google machine. Uh, also, I have not seen Call Me By Your Name. Uh, I need to. I've wanted to. Uh, and what the hell is the Florida Project? Willem Dafoe, Oscar nomination? I need to see this. Uh, and of course, I hear you on American Graffiti. Great suggestions, Nick. Thank you so much. All right, let's go to Andrew from the 314 on last week's question of eerily similar celebrity deaths. Hey, Jake, this is Andrew from St. Louis. I'm a huge celebrity death buff, so the topic of eerily similar deaths is right up my alley. Um, you may remember there are those SNL sketches, the Celebrity Jeopardy ones, where Will Ferrell played Alex Trebek and Daryl Hannon played his nemesis, Sean Connery. Um, Trebek and Connery died about a week apart, which is very eerie. And if you want a little bit more of an obscure one, there's this comedian ventriloquist named Paul Winchell, who also voiced Tigger in the original Winnie the Pooh cartoons. And there's also this character actor named John Fiedler. He played the second juror in 12 Angry Men and was also one of the poker buddies in the Odd Couple movie. And he voiced Piglet in the Winnie the Pooh cartoons. Two of them died a day apart in about July 2005. Yeah, so anyway, love this topic. Love what you do. Keep it up. Bye. Trebek and Sean Connery. 
I had no idea. I did not know this. Crazy. Uh, also had no idea about the Winnie the Pooh connections. That's some that's some nutso stuff there. You're in the wormhole, my friend. Uh, but thank you for the for the voicemail. Yeah, you sound like you're into some weird shit. So I'm going to lay this weird weird idea on you, Andrew. Um, <laughs> speaking of Winnie the Pooh, I I kind of want to write this uh, episode of Disgraceland. I've already done a Brian Jones episode. Who you probably know, Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones lived in and died in uh, uh, the home that the author for Winnie the Pooh uh, had built and lived in. Or I don't know if he had it built, but he lived there. Uh, Brian Jones lived there after him. I can't think of the author's name for Winnie the Pooh. Um, is it Christopher Robbins? Is that right? Uh, Christopher Robin. You probably just said it in your voicemail. I don't know. Anyhow, I want to write this episode of Disgraceland where I tell it uh, from sort of the, the the perspective of Winnie the Pooh, who's who's living at the house while Brian Jones is there, and Winnie the Pooh and his and his buds like Tigger and Eeyore, they're just like so put out by Brian Brian Jones, and they just cannot believe what a fuck up this guy is, and how he just does not have his life together, and how he's blowing it, how he's kicked out of the Rolling Stones, and they're just like, what a fucking loser this dude is, and then Brian Jones, you know, inevitably drowns in the pool, and they feel bad, and Winnie, Winnie the Pooh gets all sad, and so does Eeyore, anyways, I don't know if I'll ever do it. That's my dumb idea of the day. 617-906-6638 to leave a voicemail or text. Let's check out some texts right now. All right, from the 248, Dave chimes in with, my all-time favorite movie trivia answer is John Cazale, the sad-eyed genius actor who only made five films, every one of which was nominated for Best Picture. All right, Dave from the 248 chiming in with some unsolicited, awesome movie trivia. Appreciate this. Uh, Dave, I love this bit. And since you didn't mention the films John Cazale was in that were all nominated for Best Picture, I will do so without looking them up on the internet, swear to God. Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Deer Hunter, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Conversation. One, two, three, four, five Best Picture nominations featuring John Cazale. Amazing actor, Mr. Meryl Streep, and uh, buried close by, I think, to me here. Uh, I think he was from Medford, Mass., and I think he's buried there as well. I could be wrong. I'm not going to check. You guys check. Tell me if I'm wrong. I got more texts to get into, just like this one from Bill in the 937. And it says, all right, uh, Bill from the 937, baseball movie top five breakdown in reverse order. Bill gives us five, 42, four, Bull Durham, three, Field of Dreams, two, Major League, one, Sandlot. Damn, it was hard to leave the natural off this list. Uh, Jake, I'm about to go all full Andy Dufresne's trying to get new books for Shawshank and outright pester you until you at least try to watch the offer on Paramount. Miles Teller kills it in the story about the making of The Godfather. It's so well done. Give it a shot. Bill from the 937, are you in prison? Uh, I feel like you might be. Is this text from prison? Let me know. Um, I have seen the offer on Paramount. I thought it was awesome. I thought the pilot sucked, though. It was a hard pilot to get through, and I almost didn't keep going, but because I love the subject matter so much, The Godfather, the making of The Godfather, I hung in there, and uh, the series got progressively better, and I really liked it. Um, yeah, so I don't know where you got this bit about me not watching the uh, the offer on Paramount. I did. It was cool. All right, let's do some more text. All right, from the 607, um, we've got here, it says, uh, Jake, I love the podcast, man. Might I recommend setting up a Discord channel where we can all hang out and watch the movies with a voice chat? Um, 
I love this idea. I love it. I love this idea. Great idea, 607. Uh, but, you know, Discord, it's just another fucking thing, man. I mean, I'm into it. I'm into it. I'm into diving, diving into it. We have a Discord set up for Double Elvis. I think I'm the only employee who doesn't use it, which is uh, not fucking cool. But it's just, again, just one more fucking thing that I have to manage in my modern life that is uh, very, uh, you know, distracting. So I'm down to do it. Let's get it. If you guys want a Discord channel, let's do it. Uh, someone fucking run it. I'll jump in. I will be in. I will engage. I will fucking help facilitate things. I'll set up some movie nights, whatever you guys want to do, as long as you guys are in there. That's the thing. So if we can get some momentum here for a Discord channel, uh, let's do it. 617-906-6638. And let me know. Let me know if you're down. This, is there consensus? Do you guys want a Discord channel? Do you guys want to do some movie nights? You want to hang out? You want to watch? You want to talk together? We'll all be in there chatting, that whole thing. Sounds cool, right? I guess. Uh, you know, the 607 seems to think so. So 607, maybe you're the moderator. I don't know. Let me know. Let me know what you guys think. 617-906-6638. Do you want a Discord channel? 617-906-6638. Let me know. Or hit me at Disgraceland Pod on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, TikTok and the rest. Speaking of which, let's do some DMs. Okay, DM from Walker Morgan on Instagram says, Succession finale was very meh. Nobody over four seasons evolved one bit. Nobody got better or even worse. In the end, there were zero real consequences to any of their actions. And they all still just walked away broken as they started and still rich AF. I personally would have loved somebody going to prison, <laughs> losing all their money and assets, evolving into a real force of conflict against the powers that be. Anything that would have paid off the journey to get there, which essentially ended up being exactly where we started. By the way, is nobody going to talk about Shiv's baby who has been experiencing 100% of all her pregnancy, drinking and cocaine usage? That's going to be one interesting Wams Gams if he makes it all I got for now. That's a wrap. All right, Morgan Walker, morgans.disorder.nos. I hear you. That's one take on succession. I get it. I get it. You're not into the flat arcs, man. I, I understand. I hear you. And you want some retribution. You know, you want some people to pay for their shit. Um, I loved it, though. And, you know, I'm not going to argue because I don't have to. Let's see what else we got here. Another DM. This one from a fellow podcaster on Facebook, fellow podcaster named Luke Condon says, Hey, Jake, myself, my brother, and Mike Hugh from WAAF do a Neil Young podcast called Long May You Young. Wondering if you have any Neil stories or anything similar. All right. Well, listen. Uh, yeah, Luke, if you're listening to the Disgraceland after party, you will hear an interesting story about Neil Young. And this is my way of calling back to that episode that was just released this week. And you can find that in the Disgraceland feed. All right. At Disgraceland pod, send me your DM 617-906-6638. Going to take a quick break. Be back in just a second.
This is the other recommendations part, the part of the other show where we recommend the movies and television content, the recommendations part, the part where you send me your weird and awesome movie recommendations and we discuss the movie recommendations part here in the Badlands Rap Party bonus episode. Okay, this is going to be quick because this podcast is running long. This episode uh, watched an amazing movie the last couple nights, uh, just award-winning movie, a movie with some of the greatest actors of their generation. Phenomenal writing, incredible dialogue. Uh, Peter O'Toole, Catherine Hepburn, Anthony Hopkins in his first role. The movie is The Lion in Winter. And if you haven't heard of this movie, don't worry. I never heard of it either. Uh, I think I'd actually heard of it, but someone compelled me to watch it for different reasons. Um, And it's just great with a capital G. Okay. Uh, In short, I'll give you a, a... super short synopsis. Uh, King Henry II is about to die. He's got three dipshit sons and he's got to figure out <laughs> which of them gets his uh, his everything, basically. He's got a wife that he doesn't love, that he's married to, and he's got a mistress. Sound familiar, right? You know what it sounds like? Sounds like succession, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Uh, but this was a play um, and the acting in this is just tremendous and the story is equally tremendous it's 1968 you know it's uh, it's i don't want to say it's dated but it feels i guess i am saying it's dated it feels of the time but it's low production um there's not a lot of huge set pieces or anything like that it's all drama and you can tell this was a play and that's what it was born out of the theater uh the lion in winter check it out if you haven't i'm sure a bunch of you have who are far better schooled in this sort of thing than I am. Uh, but if you have not seen it, and if you're a fan of Succession, I highly recommend The Lion in Winter. All right. Also, I'm 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 working my way through Beta Boy. Uh, speaking of Succession, through Beta Boy, Seth Rogen's character on Platonic, and uh, Rose Byrne is keeping me interested. But uh, I don't know the show. I think if the show didn't come out every week, and if it were available to binge, I don't think I'd still be watching it. <laughs> But because they just drop one every week, I'm like, ah, fucking okay, I'll do one more. Um, good, not great, but, you know, Rose Byrne's awesome and Seth Seth Rogen's awesome as well. But his character, whew. All right, uh, my wife wants me to watch Rabbit Hole with Kiefer Sutherland. You guys know about this? Any good? 617-906-6638. Let me know if it is. Um, I'm, you know, because of the whole Lion and Winter thing, uh, I'm thinking of watching this Anthony Hopkins version of King Lear, which is a series on Amazon. It's a, it's a series, not a, not a film, not a play, a series. Anyone seen this? 617-906-6638. I need to know. Uh, also just rewatched some of the Ken Burns baseball documentary with one of my sons. Um, made me feel really old, uh, really old. This documentary looks old now. And I remember at a time when it looked new. I don't like that. Uh, watching the College World Series, rooting for Florida. You guys watching this? Anyone? I cannot believe how these kids pitch. Amazing. 617-906-6638. I need some recommendations, guys. Hit me up. Also, at Disgraceland Pod. Film Rex, TV Rex, College Baseball Rex, whatever you got. At Disgraceland Pod or 617-906-6638. Quick break. Back in a flash.
All right, let's recap. Number one, the obvious, the Mel Gibson episode of Badlands is available in your feed right now. Go check that out if you haven't already. Number two, next week in Badlands, we've got a new episode on Marlon Brando. Number three, over in the Disgraceland feed, we've got a new episode on Lil' Kim available for you right now. Another new episode on Aerosmith coming next week. Number four, call me, 617-906-6638. we got a great conversation. Let's keep it going. Number five, got a split. i got other podcast to record and I have to return some videotapes. So right now, a second dose of bliss for yours truly in honor of this week's Badlands episode, me reading the script from the original Lethal Weapon. Fade in. City of Angels. Lies spread out beneath us all in its splendor. Like a bargain basement promised land. Camera soars, dips, winds its way slowly down, down, bringing us in over the city as we super main titles. Titles end as we spiral down toward a lush high-rise apartment complex, the moon reflected in glass. Camera continues to move in through billowing curtains into the inner sanctum of a penthouse apartment. And here, boys and girls, is where we lose our breath because spread-eagled on a sumptuous designer sofa lies the single most beautiful girl in the city. Blonde hair, a satin nightgown that positively glows. Sam Cooke music crooning from $500 speakers. Pastel colors, window walls, new wave furniture tortured with weird shapes. It looks like robots live here. On the table next to the sleeping Venus lies an open bottle of pills. Next to that... Quit talking and start mixing! Cut it!